If you came to the um, NCCC convention, we heard from Philippians 2, and Paul preached on Philippians 2, and today Matt's preaching on Philippians 2, so God must really want us to get something out of this message, because it's the third time we're hearing it this year. I haven't told Matt that till now, but don't be put off, mate. We need to hear it. Um, so please, uh, yeah, it's on the screen, and follow along as Betty reads. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. Thanks, Betty. It's good to hear that you're um, doing an in-depth study of Philippians 2, 1 to 11. You should um, really have just you know, been able to probably recite that whole passage. <laughs> But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's one of my favourite passages, that one, and um, if you're familiar with it, you might have wanted to break out in a Christian song in those words. Um, yeah, but I won't, I won't uh, recite that song for you. I'll save your ears. But let's pray before we have a look at that part of God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, know that your Word, the Bible, is... Uh, a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. We know that uh, it helps us on the road to following your son Jesus, uh, of being more like him. Father, we know that it shows us the way to live in response to your son Jesus. And we pray uh, that as we look at that part of your word, the Bible, as we open it now, that your spirit would be at work in us, uh, changing us to be more like your son Jesus. And we pray this uh, for his glory. Amen. I should mention, if you find it helpful, there's, um, there's an outline on the back of the handout that you got as well. And we're thinking about uh, the topic of pride. It's not really, you know, one of the topics that we might want to think about. Uh, but that's what we're thinking about as we consider uh, that passage from Philippians chapter 2. And I thought I'd, I'd just begin with a series of quotes from a person who said these things over the last few years. Uh, if you can guess who it is, 
don't tell anyone, just kind of hold it a secret and then uh, I'll ask you at the end. So here are the quotes from one person over the last few years. This is what they said. There's nobody stronger than me. There's nobody who has better toys than I do. There's nobody bigger or better in military than I am. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody knows the game better than I do. There's nobody that understands the horror of nuclear more than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. There's nobody that's done so much for equality than I have. There's nobody that respects women more than I do. This one might give it away. There's nobody who builds walls better than me. Of course, I am President Donald Trump. That's right. There you go. Nobody knows anything better than Donald Trump. It's a pity he's not here today to talk to us about pride. I think he probably knows more, than, more about pride than anyone, Donald Trump. But I wonder how you'd describe him. How would you describe Donald Trump? What are the things that you'd say about him? Maybe you don't want to mention them now because we'd need to keep it G-rated. Perhaps you've already said something about the 45th President of the United States of America. I think it's safe to say that we don't really like people who are like Donald Trump. Uh, we don't really like people who brag because one of the things that you know, we say about people like that, or we say things like, well, they're stuck up. Uh, they're full of themselves. They're not the nicest names to use, but that's just what we say about people like Donald Trump, isn't it? We have all these sayings and phrases about people who boast about themselves. Uh, you know, in school, when I was in school, the ultimate put-down was uh, if you were to be considered stuck up. Um, you know, often we'd say, oh, be careful when you walk through the door because your, your head's too big that you might not fit through the door. Uh, we'd say things like, well, be careful if you go outside and it's windy or the tickets that you have on yourself are going to blow away. Uh, I think we have all these phrases and sayings that we say about people who really talk themselves up, don't we? And we say things like, well, nobody likes a bragger. And of course, we know that well-known saying that pride comes before a fall. We all use all these names and phrases when we come across people who big note themselves, people like President Trump. But perhaps it's a bit funny, maybe ironic even, that we say all these things about people like President Trump and those that we know who are full of themselves, and yet often we can reveal the pride that's going on in our own hearts. I wonder if you've ever said something like this before. I'm so proud of you. You know, I really take great pride in all of my work. I'm so proud to be an Aussie. We're a better country than anyone. I wonder if you can see that there's a bit of a problem, there's a bit of a tension going on here. On the one hand, we're happy to say all these things about people who are proud, you know, people like President Trump. But on the other hand, we say all these different things which often reveal the pride that's going on in our own hearts. And so this morning, we're not really going to focus so much on the pride out there in the world, but the pride that we have in here, the pride in our hearts. You see, there's a big problem, isn't it? There's a big problem with pride. The problem with pride is that we so often want to expose it in others, but yet we'll just happily do, do away with the pride that's going on in our own hearts. Uh, we won't even acknowledge that we are proud. And so the question is, well, what do we do? What's the solution? What, what do I do? What do you do? What do we all do? Well, God in his word gives us the answer. God himself gives us the solution to the sin of our pride. 
And no doubt as we get into God's word this morning, as we see how much God really hates pride, and uh, as we see what God has done about our pride and our sin, as we kind of pick back the layers of our pride and we see what it's like to be people who follow Jesus and the people that God wants us to be, I think this morning it's going to be a bit painful. You know, there's always that time when um, you get embarrassed and I think we say something like, oh yeah, are you okay? Oh, they're okay. They're just, you know, I've just got hurt pride. My pride's a bit damaged. Well, that's, I think, what's going to happen this morning. It's always painful when our pride takes a hit. And that's what we're going to see as we open up to this part of God's Word. But hopefully, hopefully by the end, I will not just come and see the ugliness of, of pride and our own sinfulness, but the lengths that God has gone to to save us out and to live for Him. Straight up, I realise there's a, a, quite a danger with um, a talk like this one. Um, there's often a danger where it might somehow seem that uh, you know, I've got it all together when it comes to pride, you know, that I'm, I'm really humble or something like that. I can assure you that's not the case and I can certainly assure you that my wife Jasmine will also say that's definitely not the case. I'm as proud as the next guy. I think there's also a danger with a talk like this one uh, for you to think, oh gee, this would be a really great topic for them to hear. I know that they really struggle with pride. But again... Perhaps there's the problem with our pride. We like to expose it in others, but we won't uh, acknowledge the own, our own pride in our hearts. And the thing that we've really got to come to grips with is that God hates our pride. It, it grieves him. And so let's consider what it is that God hates about pride. Let's consider what's at the heart, that is the principle of pride. I think to understand what God hates about pride, what it is that grieves God, we've really got to go back to the beginning, the start of the Bible. and the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we're told God is the loving creator of the world. He made the world and everything in it. And the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were, were put in the garden in Eden. And there they enjoyed life in the garden. They enjoyed relationship with God and it was very good, we're told. Uh, as the one who'd made them, the one who breathed life into their bodies, Adam and Eve were to listen to God and they were to obey God as God. Uh, God is God and he knows what's best. And so, Genesis chapter 1, God says to the man and woman they could eat from any tree in the garden, but he says, stay away from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, that knowledge of good and evil, that deciding of what's right and what's wrong, well, that's a job that's only reserved for God and only God as the creator of the world. And our job as humanity, as, as men and women, is to listen to God and obey him. But what happens? I'm sure you know the story well. Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent tempts Eve with the offer of taking God's job. And uh, uh, Adam and Eve, and they start to cast doubt that God really knows best, that perhaps uh, it can all be different by taking God's job away from him. And verse 4 of Genesis 3 there, uh, the serpent says to Eve, this is the serpent, you will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, the, uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Come on, he says. You can be the one who calls the shots. You can be God. Just push him out of the picture and you take up center stage. You can be the hero in your own movie. That's the offer that's really 
here with the sin of pride. And verse 6 in uh, Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Well, it says there, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing in the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She reached, she took some, and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You see, the first man and the first woman, and all of us who really follow after them, we reject God as loving creator of the world, and it's deciding, you know what, we can take God's job. We'll call the shots on life. And this is the original disaster, which means that nothing is the same again. And I think we have to see that this reaching for the fruit is really a, a pride-filled attempt for grasping for God's crown. It's wanting to crown ourselves as king. And so Adam and Eve, they want to be their own judge on what's good and what's evil. They want to be their own referee on, on knowing uh, what's good from evil in life. They want to wear the crown and they want to rule life themselves. They're trying to reach and grasp to make themselves great. This is the principle of pride. It's crowning ourselves with greatness instead of giving it to God as he deserves. A grasping for God's crown and putting it on our own heads. It's grasping for God's job, his power, grabbing the controls and saying, you know what, God? I've got this. And you and I, we have that default position of wanting to live life our own way. Now, I think um, you probably know this to be true if uh, you have children or even if you've just been around the morning tea table uh, at morning tea time because we even see it around uh, the morning tea table with kids. Okay? This is our default position. What are the words that come out of the mouths of babes, out of the mouths of the little ones so often? That's mine, mine. You know, they're kind of like the seagulls of uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You see, that's our first thought. That's our default position. It's, it's me and what I want. I want to rule and I want to get my own way. But yet that's pride. It's pride that elevates. But perhaps we don't see it as pride and we don't see it as a problem because this culture that we're in really applauds pride in ourselves. Because who does the world say we're to take pride in? It's us. Uh, where once it was seen as a vice, you know, something to be frowned upon, having pride in you, uh, taking great pride in yourself, it's now actually seen as a virtue. You know, it's something to be praised. Uh, pride in yourself, as our culture says, is necessary if we want to uh, get far in life. If we have pride in ourselves, if we take great pride in ourselves, well, that's, that's what's needed if we want to climb the ladder to get to the top. And so perhaps pride as sin has become misunderstood. And we might think, well, surely there's nothing sinful about you know, having pride in family or, or work, in a job, or uh, even in our country. But when we push God out of the picture from where he should be, when we grasp for his place, his job, his power, his crown, we put ourselves and everything about us at the centre. Because what is at the centre of pride? I, P-R-I-D-E, I am at the centre. And sadly, the only thing that that leads to is our destruction. Genesis 3 goes on to say how much God hates pride and he sends judgement down on it. And that's something that we all face if we go on living in our own pride-filled state. God's judgement. 
And not only is there a busted relationship with God because of pride, there's a, a busted relationship that we have with others. This is disaster. When Adam and Eve are confronted in Genesis 3, they blame each other. There's no longer harmony in their relationship. Uh, it's no longer very good. And it all starts with this rising up of taking God's crown, trying to take it from him. And when everyone's trying to elevate themselves, when everything and everyone should just revolve around me and I and who I am, well, our vision is completely focused on us and, and really anything goes. You know, it becomes okay that we start to put others down and slander them. It becomes okay to seek pleasure for self rather than look out for the needs of others. I'm sure you know the times when ego has crept in, when your own pride has just affected the way that you relate to others, the way that uh, you've spoken about others, the way perhaps you've even acted towards someone. You know, I think I can look back on you know, the way that I live and I know that my pride is often there uh, when I cross over the white line on the soccer field. I want to win. I want to put myself at the centre. If I don't win, I get frustrated. I take it out on others. It happens on a golf course as well and I start to throw the golf clubs up in the trees. <laughs> it's a great problem. And I'm sure you know the times in your own life where ego has crept in and you think, this is all about me. I. I am at the centre. But it's not only our destruction that awaits from the judgement of God, it's our destruction in relationship with each other. And so what's the solution? What is the prescription for our pride? You know, if we go to the doctors uh, when we have a problem with health, uh, the doctor gives us this prescription and we go off to a chemist warehouse and we get the medicine that we need to get better. So what's the prescription for our problem of pride? Where do we go? Is there anything that we can do? Well, it's not really just the case of, okay, well, now I just got to stop being proud and I want to start being humble. I, I think that's you know, often the conclusion that we can come to about what the solution is. This goes, okay, just got to stop being proud, start being humble. I just got to kind of start some moral code, plain and simple, yep, check the box. I related well to that person. I, I you know, thought of their needs before mine. But you see, that's, that's not just what it's on about here in this part of God's Word. That's really not what Christianity is about. By ourselves, we can't really stop being proud and then to simply start being humble. It's God himself that brings the solution. It's Jesus who is humble when we can't be. And this is where we need to come back out of the part of the Bible that Betty read for us in Philippians 2. Uh, from verse 6, Jesus was the opposite of proud. Uh, this is what it says there. We read it there. Verse 6 to 8 of Philippians chapter 2. Who, Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. See that word? Grasped. He didn't grasp, he didn't take hold of it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, we're, we're always grasping and trying to raise ourselves up, trying to reach for God's crown. Jesus was the total opposite. Jesus didn't Consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to take hold of. Uh, even though he had every right to because he's God. Jesus instead lowered himself, came down to earth from heaven, giving up his place and traded it in for a wooden cross to die on that for me and for you. 
You see, that's the message of the Christian faith, pure and simple. It's not the message of, well, you're in the wrong with God, here's what you now need to do to get in the good books. It's not the message of a spiritual guru who kind of lords it over people, saying, you know, if you give me the money that I need, oh, then I'll tell you how to fix the problem. This is the message of Christianity where Jesus has done what we couldn't do. And this is the prescription for pride. Uh, played soccer again um, just in the season gone by and at the start of the, the season I, um, I injured my back just simply by you know, trying to kick a ball. Um, probably shows that I'm getting too old to be playing soccer with um, 17 and 18 year olds. But I'm probably just too proud to admit that. Uh, I, went, I went to the physio and got it all fixed up really well. Uh, the physio did that thing where they'd drive your elbow, drive their elbow into the back and they and kind of strapped it up and then uh, gave me these exercises to do which I didn't do. And he, they, they did all that and I was feeling better by the end of the physio session. And you see the prescription for my injury, it worked. Thankfully the prescription for our pride doesn't rest in the hands of medical practitioners. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, medical practitioners are wonderful. Uh, doctors, physios, uh, perhaps even some of them might think that they're God, um, but we won't hold that against them. But they, they are wonderful people. But the prescription for our pride doesn't rest in their hands. The prescription for our pride rests in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, the Son of God, who didn't grasp for the crown, who didn't seek to reach and elevate himself above others, but gave his life up for you and for me. Jesus died. He was crucified for us. The most brutal of deaths on a wooden cross. That's the great prescription for pride. That's the great prescription for our sin. Instead of proud, kind of grasping hands, reaching to put the crown on himself, Jesus' outstretched hands had nails put in them and he died on the cross for us. His uh, death means that he takes the penalty for our sin. He takes the judgment of our sin, of our pride, on himself. But not only does he take our death and judgment on himself, he, he takes the judgment that awaits us and he gives new life now. He gives us this way of how we can go on living the way that God intended us to live. He gives us the prevention for pride. This is the prevention for pride. Now, I realise, as the saying goes, that prevention is often better than cure uh, because, uh, really, in Philippians 2, well, it's kind of the opposite. It's the cure that leads to prevention. Jesus' death on the cross for our pride that gives the prevention of our pride. So look back there, if you've got your Bible, or have a look up. This is uh, verse 3 to 5 in Philippians chapter 2. This is the prevention do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See the prevention for pride? It's our attitude. Be like Jesus. Be like him. He lowered himself made himself nothing, he gave up his life so that we would be friends with God, so that we'd be forgiven of the pride in our own hearts. From the moment he left heaven, Jesus went one way for us. 
He went down. He came not as a king, but as a servant. He died in our place, the worst possible way that's ever known. And the crunch for us, the prevention for pride, is the difference of, really, of up and down. It's following Jesus. It's trusting him and thinking and knowing, I've got to live like that. I've got to ask God to help me by his spirit to live like Jesus, to have uh, the same attitude, to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Not hands kind of reaching and grasping for God's crown, to stop seeing our life as this kind of climb and to elevate ourselves, but stepping down the ladder in humility and saying, here's my life, take my life, let it be, God. Ever only, all for thee. We sang it at the start. C.S. Lewis uh, is known for saying that humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, just to kind of think, well, you know, I'm just totally worthless and, and useless. There's nothing good I have to offer. Uh, that's actually a false humility. But humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but is thinking of ourselves less. So we think, okay, it's not about me, it's about others, it's about Jesus and following him, having the same mindset the same attitude as him. Turning to follow Jesus who gave up so much for us, having his mindset of serving, of giving, of, of not elevating ourselves but considering others before ourselves. So let me ask you, how's your reach? Now, what are you grasping for? Are you seeking to take the crown away from God and to put it on your head and to live like that through all of life? Now, perhaps you think now, well, look at me, I'm at the very top. Uh, I'm up here. I can look down on everyone else. Life is good. And perhaps you might even be too proud to admit that you are proud, uh, that you are clinging with all your strength, grasping and reaching and holding on to God's crown and not wanting to loosen the grip on that. Well, we've got to know that God's judgment is on that. As the saying goes, pride comes before a great fall. And there is a fall up ahead uh, if we continue to live that way. Uh, if you've been too proud to admit uh, pride in the past, I wonder if you'll go on and seek to do that today. To turn to trust in Jesus, know that he's saved you out of the, the great fall that comes after pride. If you're someone who has trusted in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, uh, how are you going? How are you living? How are you reaching? Are you saying, well, just like Jesus, open arms, not reaching to grasp this crown for myself, open arms to serve, to give, uh, to consider others more highly than ourselves. You know, perhaps it's dusting yourself off after the fall that's come because of pride and then just elevating yourselves again. What would it look like for you to, to fall towards Jesus, to fall at his feet and know what he has done, that he has given up his life for us so we don't need to try and climb back up the ladder, that we don't need to try and grasp hold of the crown that belongs to God. I wonder if for you it would mean uh, just listening well to others, considering how you might be able to serve them. I wonder if for you it might even mean offering forgiveness to someone that has perhaps hurt you. Uh, maybe for you it means serving even in the ways that you don't want to. 
Our attitude, my attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus in all our relationships who gave up his life for us on the cross. Let's pray that we do that. Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we're sorry for the ways that we often let uh, our own pride creep in uh, and rear its head in our lives in many different ways. Father, sorry for the ways that we often elevate ourselves over others when we don't uh, consider the needs of others first, when we consider ourselves as number one. Father, we pray that we'd have the same attitude, the same mindset as that of your son, Jesus. Uh, We pray that we wouldn't seek to grasp at your crown Uh, but let you be God and to consider what Jesus has done for us uh, as a servant and giving his life up for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.